The following episode of TOEFOP is rated M.A. It may contain Batman references, time travel references, sexual references, lost trains of thought, and mild coarse language. TOEFOP advises that the program is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15 or anyone who enjoys succinct, coherent conversation that might actually have a point. Minors must be accompanied by a parent, guardian, or priest. This is John Deke speaking. Everyone relax, this is Topop, I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson, and we're back in different places in the world. Yeah, our natural habitat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The podcast, it was quite weird, we actually did it in the same place for a while, it was it was quite an adventure, but now Charlie's in my place in LA, and I'm in a hotel room in Melbourne. Yeah, yeah, and I've got to say, uh, thank you Will, uh, very generous letting me stay at your place, and the thing I've come to realise the last couple of days is... You have nice things. <laughs> like I keep going around your apartment and going, oh, that's really nice. Oh, that's really nice. And it's not just like, you know, furniture and cutlery and stuff, but like all the like little condiments and stuff you have, they're all like really nice. <laughs> like, it's actually giving you a bit of condiment shame. I'm like, I just go and get like Rosella tomato sauce, but yours is like some like celebrity chef, you know, and it's like smoked chilies and tomato sauce. Well, here's the thing, Charlie. You, you've got to treat yourself with the little things in life. You, it's the it's the little luxuries that make your life, you know, feel, you know, uh, fulfilled. Well, uh, well, even better, I just enjoy my friends' little luxuries, and that way I don't have to pay for them. <laughs> well, I mean, that's a good point. In fact, I haven't really been at that apartment in LA, so really I have a lot of little luxuries that have only been for my friends to enjoy. But the one thing I discovered may have really let the genie out of the bottle. And this actually relates back to a, an earlier TOEFOP we've recorded, but I opened your freezer and I saw you had this pack of uh, pre-made uncooked croissants, the ones that you put in the oven overnight. I tried that. My God, like you have just given a crackhead the keys to the meth lab. Like I seriously, I could not believe how good it tasted. I, I cooked two. Because I thought, well, I'll have one with my breakfast and then one can be a snack for a bit later on. I finished the first one and immediately grabbed the second one before it got cold and ate that one as well. This is the greatest thing in the world. Like, why don't we have more of this? Well, Charlie, here's, I'm going to go a step further. So I'm now doing uh, radio in Melbourne. And uh, the other day uh, on the radio, we started talking about croissants because, you know, it's breakfast radio. Oh, and, yeah. <laughs> and I started talking about how much I love croissants. And the call went out for, for people in the audience to tell us where the best croissants in all of Melbourne were. And so I got a good little list of yeah. places that I'm going to try, including one place that was nominated as probably the best place in, well, the second best place in all of Melbourne to get croissants is on the street right near the house that uh, I'm going to be moving into. So that's like moving a crackhead in next to the crack dealer's place. But the other yeah. one was this sort of country place where this Belgian uh, person who's come to Australia and she's doing this new thing where she uses like a sourdough base to make her croissants. Like it's a twist that she's put on herself. And I've got to be honest with you, I was skeptical when I heard about it. And then this morning... Yeah they sent some fresh into work and I ate a plain croissant with nothing else on it on air. And Luke Darcy, who I work with went, are you okay? 
because I was literally <laughs> having a hot flush at how delicious this croissant was. It felt like I was, I honestly felt like, I was like, oh, it felt like what I imagine a woman ha having an orgasm might feel like. It was like a whole <laughs> body and it kept going. Like it was that thing of just going, this is... I, I have no idea what you're talking about. I've never seen a woman have an orgasm. <laughs> Well, it's, but here's the thing. I've seen it happen, but I've never got to experience what it was experience like. Experience it, yeah. Because it was like, you know, the male orgasm, Charlie, as we know, it, you know it's like, you know, it, it builds very much to it. Like if you were eating a croissant based on the male orgasm, right? Like the first couple yep. of bites would be delicious. And then like the next couple of bites, you'd just actually already be, you know, feeling bad and regretting what you've done. <laughs> Whereas like this one, I finished and then for another, like, I wanted to get another croissant and spoon with it. I just wanted a croissant to hold me. Yeah. Well, I think your croissants, the ones I, I baked for myself here were more like the male orgasm because I did consume, I had a threesome with your croissants. Like I had two at once <laughs> and it was awesome. And then for the rest of the day, I just felt dirty. I mean, I felt dirty, but I also had like a rock in my gut because <laughs> I think maybe I hadn't cooked them through enough Like because they smelt so great. And I was watching them through the oven like a goddamn peeping Tom. And as soon as they looked ready to go, I just whipped them out, sliced them open, put some honey and butter on it and ate it. But seriously, today, I, I've been playing those kind of mind games that I imagine like drug addicts or alcoholics have to play with themselves where it's like... I keep walking past your fridge and that little voice in my head's like, well, why don't you just get a croissant out? You know, just let it defrost and then you can uh, cook it and just have it with a cup of tea. You've been working hard. You've been doing a good job. You deserve a croissant. And I'm having to like argue with myself to say no, like, because this is a slippery slope. Well, the great thing about them, Charlie, the ones that you have to put, you actually have to kind of thaw them out first. So you do have yes. some time to like change your mind yeah, and regret your true. decision if you need to. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point because there are still quite a few left. And I was like, okay, well, you know, Jen gets here on Saturday. It might be nice when she arrives. I'll put a couple of croissants on when, you know, she comes in and we can have a cup of tea and catch up and stuff like that. So in my head, I'm like, if I eat the rest of them, but there's still two <laughs> by Saturday, then somehow that's a win, right? Uh, is there any of the gourmet ice cream still in the fridge? That's the more, in the freezer, that's the more interesting I question. I have seen that. I have not sampled that yet. It's, uh, it appears to be uh, what, a coconut milk vanilla ice cream and a raspberry sorbet is that right well okay i'm not really sure but there's a place down the road uh which is kind of like a yeah one of those kind of hipster ice cream places okay well hang on and it's down what, in Santa Monica. what does that mean how do you describe a hipster ice cream place well i mean all the flavors are flavors you would not normally think were ice cream <laughs> it's so hipster you know it's so hipster they've gone back to a time when ice wasn't invented it's literally just cream that's how hipster they are well, I mean, it's just cream, but then with flavors that you just would not imagine you'd normally combine with cream. Right. And they are the most delicious things in the entire world. But they are insane. Well, there is a thing about American, I was going to say cuisine. It's probably not the right word. American flavors where Americans aren't afraid to take a little from column A and a little from column B and just see what the fuck happens. Well, I think their uh, capacity for extreme like sugar and salt flavors must be like higher than us because they've been raised on sugar and salt in a way that we haven't been raised on sugar and salt. They will just go 110% one direction on like sugar and salt or maybe even combine <laughs> the two like to the extreme. To the extreme, they rock a mic like a vandal. Turn off the lights and watch them jump like a candle. That's what I'll say about Americans. <laughs>
Well, here's the thing I will say. Uh, there's a good example is that there's a place nearby the house there that does uh, sweet potato fries and they've got kind of a marshmallow glaze, yeah. kind of. Yeah. And you're like, they're sweet potato. They're already the sweetest of potatoes. It's literally in the name of the potato, sweet potato. But someone in America went, no, that's not sweet enough for us. We've got to dip it in marshmallow. <laughs> Uh, the first night I was here, um, I caught up with some friends. Uh, uh, Pete Hellier was there. And uh, it was funny because Pete, was t- as he was telling us his story, he was like, oh, you know, I've just been in town for 24 hours. And, you know, I was on Rodeo Drive and I got recognized. Some like Australian guy, you know, in a car driving past. I was like, oh, Pete Hellier. And as he's saying that, a dude from the table behind us is like, I'm really sorry, mate. Could we get a photo? And it was a bunch of Strawny fans. Like they all wanted to get a photo with Strawny and stuff. <laughs> So as these guys are all getting their photo taken, a guy looks at me and goes, two guys, one cup. <laughs> and I was like, are you kidding me? Like, that's not even a visual medium. I've come to LA to get recognized for our AFL football podcast. Well, I mean, I imagine that we probably get some downloads in LA because it is mostly full of Australians. Yeah, that's t- totally. I have like, I've heard so many Australian accents just from people I don't know, like just going down the street. West Hollywood particularly seems to be quite Australian. Yeah, I think it is a place where Australians land and feel quite comfortable. And certainly, you know, I've lived there. And you can see, the thing that I never realised was that Australians look different to Americans. <laughs> like, I assumed that we looked pretty much the same. You know, we're essentially, like, I mean, white Australians and white Americans, I assume, pretty much looked the same as each other. Yeah. But we don't. You can, if you see an Australian walk down the street, I can more often than not from the distance go, I bet that person's Australian. And then when they walk by, and I can't tell you exactly what it is that I'm seeing, but there's definitely a difference in the shape and style of our heads that is uniquely Australian. I know what you're talking about. There's kind of a, I mean, I don't know what the, what the right metaphor is, but there is a different type, particularly with Australian men. Like I think that you can tell Australian guys, it's, it's almost like, especially in this part of town, because there's a lot of very slick kind of well-manicured dudes in this part of town. But whenever I see Australians, they tend to be just a little bit crumpled. Just like a, it's like if you have a crisp brand new dollar note and then you've got one that's just been in the wallet a bit longer. Yeah, well, I think that's why the Australian actors have done well over there because they look like American actors, but just a bit crumpled. <laughs> that's true. Australians that's true. are essentially like... worn in Americans. <laughs> well, a friend of mine uh, got a job on a series over here that they were casting for a long time. They sit in Nebraska or something, and they're looking for a dude to play like a sheriff. And he, the character was meant to be in his 50s, I believe. And they searched for almost two years before they finally found this guy in Australia because they couldn't find any actors in Hollywood of that age. Who, If you're of that age and you're still working, you either had made a lot of money and you weren't going to do a TV show, or you're an actor, but all the actors had like their face lift. Like you could not find a dude who actually looked his age. I rem- I, there's something about a, a, the Australian char- character. We were talking about this the, actually the other day because my teeth are terrible. Mm. And I think that's a good sign that you're not from America because Americans have such beautiful big teeth. And yeah. I have like, I've always had quite terrible teeth. Like, you know, I have fangs and I got a tooth knocked out when I was a teenager that was meant to get replaced that has never got replaced. I just have like, it, it's weirdly stuck to some other teeth with like some metal thing in my <laughs> mouth so you can kind of see it. And like, as I've got older, my wisdom teeth are pushing in. So all my teeth are starting to overlap. And one of my front teeth is just like worn <laughs> down through stress or it being broken or something. Like I really, my 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 face is a bit of a mess. And, and it's actually, I was doing that thing the other day where I was saying, oh, well, I suppose I could just go and get some of my teeth fixed. But 
in Australia, the idea that you might come back and have better teeth would mean I'm going, is it worth having better teeth for the 20 years of constant shit I will get from my mates for having better teeth? Well, that has been proved. Uh, I mean, it's more a subject for other podcast who guys won't cut. But for TOEFOP listeners, you might not know there is a newsreader in Australia called Tony Jones. And he used to man the desk before they'd cut to the footy show. Now, Tony Jones... Uh, had some veneers, I guess, put in. What do they call it? You know, when you get basically those big white... Yeah, veneers, I think. ...false teeth put in. But noticeable, like cartoonishly big white teeth. And it became a running joke on the footy show when they would do their little kind of, you know, uh, promo for the footy show coming up. They would do a cross... They would cross to one of the players and the players each time would finish the interview by calling him Chompers. And if you go on YouTube and look up, I guess what, Google Tony Jones Chompers, like you will see a hilarious kind of montage of a dude who just has to sit there on national TV and take it as these guys make fun of his big fake teeth. And he's taken the completely wrong approach to it, which is he's really pissed off by it, which means they will never stop doing it. I know. It's amazing, right? Like, you just think, like, Tony, if you started laughing, they wouldn't keep doing it. It's, it's, it's bizarre because part of me is like, oh, hang on. This is bullying. This is not cool. But another part of me is like, well, he keeps asking for it. Seriously. <laughs> Yeah, he was asking for it, going out in public with his teeth on show like that, showing them off. I don't understand, though, with those veneers thing, because I see them a lot, especially in Hollywood. When you go to auditions, there's a one thing I've really noticed about, like, American actors. Like, Australians, when they go to audition, they'll either dress the part or they'll come in looking pretty much themselves, neutral. Um, but Americans tend to come in looking as good as they possibly can. Like, they've just come from the gym, they've got a nice tight-fitting shirt on, hair's perfect, and... The dude with those veneers, the one thing I've noticed, because I've been in a waiting room with more than one person with veneers, is the teeth look identical. Like, everyone has a different right. shaped head, and therefore you'll have a different shaped teeth. But the veneers are all the same, and I'm like, surely by now they've got to, like, veneer technology where they can give you an option of, like, what kind of, you know, semi-imperfect teeth you want. Well, I guess that's the thing, right? Like, the people who have really good work, it's like the people who've had good Botox or good plastic surgery it's actually about the fact that they've got good ones. Like, it's, I guess it's like renovating your house. You can get someone in to actually rebuild the wall or you can just whack some wallpaper <laughs> or like another wall over the top of the wall. Yeah, totally right. But does that, I mean, what would you get done? Like, if you, if you had like the time and the money to get it done, what would you get done? Well, I mean, I don't know. I just would like my taste to... Clunk together I'd over food. I just like food. them to be normal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I just like whatever they were like 10 years ago. That's all I want. I don't want them to be like, I'm, I'm happy to keep my fangs. I don't even mind like a bit of character in my teeth, but I'd just like them to be, I guess like anything, I'd like my body to be what it was 15 years ago. Yeah. And the same goes for my teeth. I got lucky with my teeth because I went through a period where I was so broke. I was, the thought of going to a dentist was like, what's the point? Like I can't pay for anything. So I didn't go for almost eight or nine years. And then when I went in, finally, I had a paycheck again and saw the dentist. They had to chip away like a shit ton of plaque. Like I was a, some kind of like whale. <laughs> just chip away all this plaque. But underneath, they said it was fine. And since then, I've sort of gone to the dentist twice a year. And I've had one filling in 40 years. So I've got very lucky with my teeth. Yeah, that's really good. Well, your dad was a dentist. Maybe your dad and your mum were slipping you something as a kid. Like maybe he had some secret sort of... Well, he used to... No, my dad, he wasn't... Maybe he was bringing something home and rubbing it on your teeth. Well, it's a weird thing because I often tell people that, you know, uh, I'm really, really lucky with my teeth. My father was a dentist. But those two things don't correlate. 
<laughs> because my father, like the DNA of his profession didn't get into my body somehow. And I never had braces. And it wasn't like dad was handing out like dental floss now lunch packs or anything like that. I just think it's a coincidence. Right. Well, that's probably the case, right? I imagine that's probably the case. But what I like to think is he's actually, he was taking DNA out of the mouths. Like when the, when the people who came in who had good mouths, he put a little plug in that sink. When, and when they would spit, he would collect that. And then somehow he was mixing it into your food and stuff as you were growing up. So you actually do have the DNA of someone with good teeth. Well, my dad actually like resented being a dentist. I think we've talked about this. He didn't like his job. I think it was a profession his parents pushed him into. And uh, so he grumbled a lot about it. And like he was, he was kind of, it was almost like he was trying to expose like the, every time you talk about his job, he'd try to expose the bullshit of dentistry. Like I remember him once saying, talking about toothpaste and how toothpaste is a sham. Like he's gone, you might have a rag and a cup of water will do the same thing as toothpaste. Like all that fluoride and crap they talk about, you know, getting on your teeth. It doesn't last there. You know, it's not like you're painting a bloody car or something. So he actually dissuaded me from good <laughs> dental hygiene, if anything. He was also against electric toothbrushes, but I think that's just because he thought it was lazy. <laughs> I just love the idea. You know how it always says this, uh, this toothpaste is, rep- uh, is uh, recommended by nine out of 10 dentists. I like the idea that he's the other dentist. Yeah. He's the one who would not recommend it. And then they go to him and he goes, personally, you might as well use a rag on a <laughs> Well, it's funny now, like, I, remembering back when I used to go to see my dad and going to the dentist now, like, because I'll, like, I'll go twice a year and it is so, like, it's so, uh, uh, like, um, science, science fiction. It's like you're on, like, the deck of, of the Starship Enterprise now. Yeah, well, that's it, right? Everyone's got TV screens and there's even sleep dentistry now, which I guess that would be the one that ideally I would like to do. I think I'd just like to go in, go to sleep, and then just get them to do everything while I was asleep and then wake up with new teeth. So do you, how are you when they're doing like the clean out and stuff? Like, do you get kind of twitchy or can you relax into it? How do you go with that? Oh, no, I hate the sound of the drill. I don't like people mucking around with my mouth. My mouth doesn't open far enough. So I always feel like I can't open my mouth far enough and that like really annoys me. And it always feels like their fingers are really massive in my mouth. Um, I don't like drooling. I'm, I, I can't, no, everything about it I hate. But the problem is with me, with the sleep dentistry, they'd have to put me into a coma. <laughs> they'd have to induce a coma for six weeks to fix all my teeth. Is this something that's been bothering you of late? Yeah, definitely. Right. I can, well, because I can feel all the chips and the holes, but also because one of the ones at the front is quite obviously shorter than the other one at the front now. And as, as Amy said to me the other day, Charlie, uh, I'm on television. And <laughs> it turns out that when you're on television, like they sometimes take close-ups of your face. Now, in my day-to-day life, I never see my face. So my face doesn't really annoy me. As a general rule, but of late, I've got a new job where I'm on posters. I'm working in one of those workplaces now where there's like pictures of me yeah, right. all over the workplace. And it's one of those things where it's kind of meant to make you feel good, I guess. It's meant to be their version of welcome to this workplace. You're a new person in this workplace. And so there's posters of you and like all over the workplace. But all it's done is made me judge every aspect of like oh does my neck really look like that oh that lymph that lymph node like tumor on my neck is really obvious oh my teeth are terrible well i saw your uh, your hot breakfast poster and your expression in it is something like uh startled meerkat yes <laughs> now explain and talk fu- me through that pose well the funny thing is like I, I they did a series of photos and we all did them separately and then they just put them together 
like you know as like the poster right mm. and so they send they do a series of photos and then they send you like eight or ten options and you go you know you approve a few of them and so you approve like a, you know some nice ones and some good ones and you kind of try to approve at least one or two sort of you know you're pulling some sort of expression and that one by <laughs> itself when it's just like the whole me you're like oh yeah that's fine that looks fine but when then it's put next to two other people and it looks like you're making that face because of something you know because you've been put with those two other people the context changes the expression so much exactly that's what's going to be my next question is like das and eddie smiling at the camera looking very good and then you look like you have no idea what is going on that someone has just kicked the door in and snapped a photo it, no it looks like somebody has just as we were taking a photo stuck their finger in my butthole <laughs> That's what the well, that's what the expression looks like. It looks like somebody who has got a like they've checked my prostate, but as a surprise. Yeah. Much like sleep dentistry, this is surprise prostate yeah. checking. Yeah, it's like it's like Amy's taking you on a special Valentine's Day, and you don't know what a colonoscopy is, and she's like, "You're gonna love it. You're gonna love it." And you're like, "Oh, okay, this is great. Wow, what a clean room. This nurse seems really nice. What's going on? Whoa, whoa." <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't look like the expression of someone who's particularly pleased to be in the scenario they found themselves in. So anyway, that's all over the office. So I have to stare at that like every day when I get to work. How is being back in the swing of radio? Uh, yeah, I'm loving it. It's been really fun, actually. I, like, I mean, you know, it's like this, but you get paid for it. Yeah, so well, what's that like? So it's actually much better. <laughs> oh, oh, mate, it's like I'm having an affair on you, but the new person that I'm having the affair with treats me a lot better than you do. <laughs> I have this other imaginary radio show I don't get paid for, guys. And uh, the dude that I do that with, he just skives off my good sauce and condiments. <laughs> He's over in LA in my apartment eating my luxury croissants while I'm in here with you guys and you guys are looking after me. I think if we ever do some like you know uh, character shots for Tofop, it should just be you looking disapprovingly as I eat a tray full of croissants. It's been one of those things too, uh, I must admit, because... Uh, Every footballer in the country has a book at the moment. It's been, for, like our other podcast, Two Guys, One Cup, it's been one of those moments where you're just like, oh, this is like a better version of Two Guys, One Cup as well. Because oh like, we'd love to talk to, we'd love to talk to Luke Hodge and we'd love to talk to Nick Rewalt. Like, <laughs> Have you read uh, Nick Rewalt's book? I've read some of it, yeah, because he came in and did the show. So I read a, a fair bit of it. Yeah, I, it was uh, fantastic. I read it on the, uh, on the flight over and... Uh, I wasn't expecting it to be quite as uh, honest and emotional as it is. Like, it, I mean, it is a footy memoir and it's got all the sort of normal tropes of a footy memoir, you know, first games, first coaches, all that kind of stuff. But he really sort of takes this unusual for, oh, look, I haven't read a lot of sports biographies, but I'm, I haven't read anything like this in the ones I have read where he, he gets very introspective and questioning about himself, you know, like he sort of talks about what it takes to become a leader and the things that he sacrificed and, and where it leads him is down this kind of point of anxiety as being someone who suffers from anxiety and almost like that uh, drive to win is, is based on anxiety, which you read that and you're like, oh my God, that, this is almost confessional in a way. And then on top of that, he talks about his sister Maddie, you know, who sort of fought that disease for so long. And I had no idea what that family had gone through. Like when you read that five-year period in which she was in hospital and the visits and... 
I, I mean, it's just bizarre that you think this is someone who's such a public person, like the face of his football club, one of the most recognisable guys in the AFL. How the hell he even fronted up every week to play that game is absolutely stunning. I started bawling. Like I was sitting, the part of the planet sitting in is only like two chairs in my row. And I was sitting next to this girl who was annoyed with me to begin with because I had requested an aisle seat. But by the time I got onto the plane, uh, this stewardess came up and said, look, there's a family who would like to sit together. Would you mind if they take your seat and you can just have the equivalent one on the other side? Equivalent, but I'd be sitting against the window. Now, I always like the aisle seat because I like to get up a lot when I'm on a flight, long flight. So I took it. But the girl next to me decided to just settle in for a long sleep as soon as we sat down. So every time I got up, I was having to wake her up. Then beyond that, I'm reading Nick's book and I start crying like a couple of times. There's at least two or three chapters where it is so like emotional and heart wrenching and just like it's devastating in parts. Like I haven't actually cried reading a book in so long. And it's a weird kind of thing because you are actually in control of the information that's making you cry. Like you can stop reading, but I continue to turn the page and getting even more emotional, you know, <laughs> like my hands shaking and stuff. And I could just see this girl like pretending to be asleep, but sort of eyeing me to the side going, oh no, who is this bloke? Well, it's one of those things where you are more likely to cry in the sky, apparently. Really? Like, it's why when you watch, like, a sappy movie in, in the air, it, it affects you more than it ordinarily would. I don't know what the... In fact, uh, let's, uh, let's Google it. Well, while you're why, why you doing that, it's probably time to read an ad. Okay. So let me just bring... Oh, yeah, because we're going to do a shorter episode today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is the halfway point for those of you who are keeping track. Yep. Um, all right. So... Uh, Guess who's back, Will? The club, Dollar Shave Club. They've got the answer. Oh, to really? Make, nice. They've got the answer. They don't have the answer for your teeth, but they've got the answer to make, okay. to make your shaving so much easier. Because now, I know what it used to be like, Will. You used to be so racked with anxiety about choosing between price and quality. Price and quality. You don't have to do that anymore. You can have price... Well, you know what I love, Charlie? You know I love quality. We've talked about this already in the podcast. It's something that I enjoy. But also, at the same time, I'm not loaded. I have four free podcasts. You know, the good people at Dollar Shave Club are supporting us a little bit. But I've got to find something that is both quality but at an affordable price. Well, dollarshave.club is a... Uh, oh, God. I can't, why can I never read the sponsor's name? Dollarshaveclub.com is a no-brainer for an incredible shave delivered right to your door. So Maybe it's because you've got no brain yourself, Charlie. Uh, is that why? Hey, that's not funny. Maybe you're the perfect person for this advertisement because you are yourself are a no-brainer. Hey, stop bullying me. Dollarshaveclub.com oh, delivers high-quality razors right to my door uh, for less than what I used to pay. So that's the best part. You don't even have to look like some schmuck going and buying your own razors. Treat yourself like a king. Have those razors delivered to, right to your door. There's no reason to deal with the hassle of going to the store to buy expensive razors when you join the club. Just go to dollarshaveclub.com and pick a razor that works for you from their amazing lineup of blades. I'm assuming their uh, lineup of blades does not include Wesley Snipes. Well, I mean, it does include it, but it's an affordable and quality Wesley Snipes. You know, if you want to get a first-class shave, Will, you use the executive razor. That's where you get to slip on a bit of Dr. Mm -hmm. Carver's shave butter. And then you just slide that blade, not Wesley Snipes, gently across your skin for the smoothest shave imaginable. I mean, I can't imagine a shave smoother. That's the, that is actually the truth. He's a smooth bloody shaver. <laughs> smooth. Oh, I mean, I'm pretty sure shaver. they said, Charlie, please don't sing during this. Yeah, actually, sorry. Oh, that was the one thing they stipulated. Don't sing. We don't mind if you mess up the website. We don't mind if you add in extra details, but please 
do not sing. Here's your chance to see why over 3 million members like me love the Dollar Shave Club. Right now, you can get your first month of the club for as little as five dollar dues in Australia. Five bloody dollar dues. After that, it's just a few Shut bucks up. a month. Or, okay, what? Do you want to stop reading the ad? Or just like, oh, the value is what you're saying. Oh, no, 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 no. That was more me. Incredulous. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I thought maybe that was your internal monologue about this podcast. So you flew and you got cried on a plane. Boo, shut up. Right now you can get your first month of the club for as little as five dollar dues. After that, it's just a few bucks a month. Dollar Shave Club is so confident in the quality and the value of all their products, and that's in capitals, all. There's no long-term commitment or any hidden fees. There's no reason not to join. Get yours at Dollar Shave Club today. Uh, dollarshaveclub.com slash tofop. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash tofop. Uh, nice one. I mean, it would be weird for them to have faith in all but one of their products. I mean, I'm glad they have faith in all of them. They think they're all quality. But it'd be even weirder if they thought that like every single one of their products was great except for one, but we're not going to tell you which yeah. one. <laughs> it's the Russian roulette. <laughs> hey, here we go, Charlie. Uh -huh. Are you more likely to cry uh, in the air? Uh, this is an article uh, that I've got here from... Uh, Bustle.com. I'm not a huge reader of Bustle.com. Sounds a bit like, a, like, like an, an 80s porno magazine, like Razzle Dazzle, Bustle. Oh, I mean, maybe it is. Maybe I am. But anyway, <laughs> Bustle uh, have written an article about this. It's called Why Do People Cry More on Airplanes? Here's the science behind those airborne tears. So this is what we're looking for here. Yep. Uh, a few years ago, Virgin Atlantic Airlines started issuing in-flight warnings before sad movies <laughs> advising flyers that if they felt a little weepy, they could call a flight attendant for a shoulder to cry on. That, this is bullshit. Come on. No, this is, this is what, it, I mean, obviously they were having a bit of fun with yeah. it, but it, it, apparently it's okay. true. Apparently though, these warnings aren't as absurd as you may think, okay. Charlie Clawson. <laughs> wow. They have your That's name in the article. Really but specific. They're the result of research showing that we tend to cry a lot on aeroplanes. According to responses to a survey, 41% of men bury themselves in blankets to hide tears in their eyes from other passengers, and women are likely to pretend they have something in their eyes. So if you're a woman, you're just like, ah, oh, it's the air conditioning, I've got something in my eyes. If you're a man, you grab a blanket <laughs> and hide your face in shame. Now, it has a name. It has a nickname, Charlie. Yep. Uh, what do you think the nickname of uh, for crying while you're on a flight is? Uh, uh, crying or flying? <laughs> I tried to swap the F and the Not C. Not bad. Uh, cr cr flying. Crying. Cr flying. Cr flying. For crying. As much as I'm enjoying you having a stroke right now. <laughs> Uh, it's a it's a play on another like popular phrase for something you could do on an aeroplane. Uh, the Mile Cry Club. Oh, that's actually better oh. than their one. <laughs> I like your one. <laughs> their one is it's the Mile High Blub Club. Oh no, mine's mine's better, and it was right in front of them the whole time. Yours heaps better. <laughs> the Mile Cry Club. Yeah, the Mile Cry Club. So uh, here we go. The question, of course, is why? Why do we cry more on aeroplanes? Evolutionary speaking, one, one reason researchers think we cry is to elicit a sympathetic response from those around us who are more capable when we can't fend for ourselves. <laughs> I love that. That's going to be my approach to every situation which I don't understand. Like, 
even when I use like an ATM in the state, sometimes I'm not quite sure which buttons I should be pressing. I'm just going to burst into tears and hope someone comes and tells me how to use it. Well, essentially, this is the method that babies use. Charles. Yeah, I like it. I'm all over it. I can't believe we right. stopped doing it. What idiots. Uh, another interpretation uh, posits that because we don't have the same amount of distractions to keep our brains occupied during a flight, and because our bodies are literally trapped in a small space where our lives depend on the decisions <laughs> of a small crew, we cry both because of the unknown and because there's nothing else to focus our attention on. I think this person is writing from a very personal space and they potentially have a fear of flying because this is someone who has done a lot of thinking on long flights, just looking around going, I wonder if I had to kill someone to get off this plane, which one would it be? Well, I mean, that might be the case. So there doesn't seem to be a lot of science, but um, here's a, a little interesting tidbit that Mike Hal has found. Toy Story Hang 3. Hang on, sorry, pause. Did you, is, did, has been, did you say titbit? Uh, I don't know if I said titbit, but I meant tidbit. <laughs> okay. Although some people do say titbit. Again, that's another rabbit hole we probably don't have the no, time not or energy to get into today. But tidbit and titbit are certainly, I mean, titbit, it really sounds like a Fitbit, but for your boobs. <laughs> the first porno I ever saw was called Titbits Volume 15. It was handed around my school like the Holy Grail. And could you understand it, even though you hadn't seen the first porno? <laughs> no, I was flummoxed. What is this pizza man delivering this pizza to this woman? And why is she wearing no clothes? Was this pizza man in all the Titbit franchise? <laughs> is this like the Fast and the Furious? When it gets to like the, the 20th one, is it just called TB20? I do think that was interesting. The sort of, you know, pornography, you know, kind of... Like, I understand that, say, if you like a, a, a movie like The Fast and the Furious, if you like a car movie, it's better to, you know, call the car movie The Fast and the Furious 9. More people will go and see that because they understand the franchise. But was there really people, like, choosing their pornography because they were like, you know what, I just really trust the Titbit franchise. <laughs> Like I know if I get I know if I get Titbit fifteen, rather than going like go and get Giant Jugs two, I'm gonna go and get like if they've made yeah. fifteen of them, they must be good. No, it's a brand you can trust. Titbit. Uh, okay, so you anyway, you cry more in the air. That's I think. Oh right, well, did we get to the end of that rabbit hole? That was a short rabbit hole. Well, I, I mean, the, the rest of it was pretty much. Just, I don't think I've ever. Know, I don't think. Stuff. I think that's the first time I've ever cried on a plane. I don't recall ever crying. I've watched a bunch of movies and so have you cried on a plane? Oh, I cry every time I'm on a really? plane. Really. Oh, well, sometimes I'm getting arrested. So, I mean, that's a good reason to cry, but. <laughs> How's this? I'll tell you a story about a plane today. Yeah. Uh, there was something in the news. This is, a, this is a great story. So this guy and his wife are on the way to Bali yep. uh, for a holiday. Love it. And they end up having to land the Air Qatar plane. Well, it's not called Air Qatar, is it? It's called Qatar Air. No, Air Qatar is was... heaps better. <laughs> that is a great Air Qatar. And they could just get the Bill and Ted kind of let's guitar thing as their slogan. Just back to back on the tail of the yeah. plane. Yeah. <laughs> Wild stallions. <laughs> Air Qatar. I love it. That's so obvious. So Qatar Air... Qatari Air, yeah. they were flying on a flight uh, to Bali for a bit of an eat, pray, love situation, I imagine. And uh, it turns Not out the drink, love went out drink, the window. Not a drink, piss, spew situation. Well, here's the thing, Charlie. The uh, wife uh, has got into a fight with her husband on the plane to the point where they've had to uh, emergency land the plane because what had happened was 
while he was asleep, she had used his finger to unlock his phone and discovered that he was having an affair. Wow. And was so mad about it that she started fighting him. Wow. And they had to land the plane. Wow. Like, okay. So do you think this was a calculated move, premeditated move on her part? Because I'm assuming they share a marital bed. There would have been ample opportunities to grab his finger and and touch the, 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 the phone before that. But she chose a time in which they're in a contained space. Like, why would she choose that moment? Unless that must have been spur of the moment. No, she would have had suspicions. Why would she do it in the first place? Well, I imagine that the suspicion must have come up perhaps during the flight. Oh. Or on the plane or something like that. Yeah, that way she's decided this is my opportunity. I'm going to check it out. Or maybe maybe it was in the couple of... I reckon he booked the holiday out of the blue. And she's like, this is strange. Like, why has he booked this holiday? Why are we doing this eat, pray, love holiday out of the blue? Like, he has fucked up big time. Right, and yeah, and then she heard that Jenny from work also (laughs) was going to Bali for a holiday and suddenly uh, Jessica Fletcher, Murder, She Wrote style, has got a little suspicious and she's like, I think I can sort this out on the plane. Oh, man. So what happened? They turned the the play around or they land it in Bali? Well, they had to land it. They had to emergency land it. I mean, that is why they tell you to turn your phone off when you get on the plane. (laughs) That is probably the main reason. Turn your phone off and delete all text messages from your mistress. I mean, I don't know how you explain that to people when you have to say, we're going to have to do an emergency landing. I don't understand why people who have affairs and send dick pics and stuff, like why they keep it on their phone. Like, I'm so paranoid about, like, I keep Bluetack on my computer camera. Like, I, I, get, I delete, like, histories as soon as I look at something. I'm terrified of anyone knowing anything about me. Oh, absolutely. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm one of those people that, like, I just instinctively, like, erase my history. Even just so that I don't get... Because particularly for work, you know, I have to watch a lot of um, advertisements for Gruen. And what happens, what I used to find was, if I didn't, like, clear my entire history, I start getting... Like, if we're doing a segment on cars, then the internet thinks that I'm actually buying a car. And you get targeted. So then you just get nothing but pop-up ads and stuff for cars. I, there was a great article that I think was on Mashable someone uh, was sending around. And it's about these children's videos, these children's animations on YouTube. Did you see this article? Basically, it was sort of talking mm. about how you can make a fortune making these kids' videos because they're very cheap to make and very simple. But there is a level of automation to these things because they're basically animation plugins now. So they'll, kids will just search like, you know, Superman, blah, 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 blah. And this thing will come in. But these, the, the guy who's running the article is saying some of these are made by humans. Like they're obviously human production team putting this together. But other, others of these are automated by computers who are picking up algorithms of like common search words and stuff and putting things together. So what we're getting is like a computer's twisted version of like a child's cartoon. So I watched this thing the other day that was like, you know, Spider-Man, the Hulk and Captain America all in quicksand while the Joker like cackled like a witch. It was so disturbing. Like it's like David Lynch meets the Wiggles. Well, you know what the thing is though? In the old days, that was pretty much how the big studios did superhero movies. Yeah, totally. You know, they didn't get the superheroes at all. And they'd be like, we'll get Batman and like a witch and like a magical dolphin. It'll be great. Kids will love it. But it does make, like, it did sort of make me think that, like, because I've spent so much time on YouTube now. I get a lot of my entertainment on YouTube. And a lot of this stuff doesn't actually necessarily require a human component. 
you know, they're like collages or montages or infographics or documentaries, you know, with voiceover. That could be all automated. That could be completely constructed. Like, I've realized that I am completely ignorant <laughs> to what the power of the internet is. Oh, Charlie, even more so than that, on Gruen last night, we talked about all these uh, new in-home devices, you know, your Amazon Alexa and your OK yeah. Google and, you know, all these sort of, you know, assistants at home that you talk to. And uh, not only did what we learn about, you know, the way they're sucking up our data and monitoring us and all these sort of things, but the other thing was, because I was saying those phrases on the television show, today we got hundreds of complaints from people who were like, oh, by the way, every time you said, okay, Google, my Google uh. was turning on at home and then trying to answer the questions that I was asking on the show. Or every time I said like the Alexa command, like Alexa would turn on in these people's houses and give them the definition of the Gruen transfer. <laughs> and people were like, so not only are these things monitoring us and have all this power, but they're sucking up all this information and they can be remotely controlled by people. And so he was picking up your the sound of your voice through a speaker it wasn't even like the person in the room was saying it that's right yeah but it was as if the person in the room was saying it and it was recognizing it and so i i, I basically could have got the machines to rise up against the people in their in their living room i wonder what would happen if you got like two alexas or two like series or whatever and just got them talking to each other if you got one asking one siri asking another siri a question would they get stuck in like an eternal loop no, Charlie, no. They'd get smart enough to kill us all. <laughs> like, I mean, this is, we are so close to Terminator happening. It's so weird that, like, we are so aware of what's going to destroy us, and yet at the same time, we are rushing quickly towards it regardless. Yeah, it is weird. I mean, I feel like there is this kind of arrogance, though. Like, it's, it's kind of like this, you know, the philosophy behind Brexit, which is like, well, we ruled... The world once we can rule the world again and i think our attitude is like well we invented them what are they going to do to us right but here's the thing like you know dinosaurs once ruled this earth but where are they now like we haven't always been in charge is the point it's not like humans have always been the top of the food chain. There was a period of time where we didn't exist. There was a period of time where like other creatures ruled this planet. So this idea that at some stage we won't be the dinosaurs, you know, that the artificial intelligence, whatever we become, even if it's our human brains in like, you know, these artificial bodies or whatever, yeah. they'll look back at us as if we were the monkeys that we originally evolved Would from. Would you, if they came to you, like if there, suddenly there was like this kind of worldwide standoff, human versus machines, and they offered us a deal. They said, look, we're going to exterminate most of you, but the first two million people who come forward and volunteer to become cybernetic will let you guys live, but you're going to have to have like machinery put in you. Would you take that? Well, here's what I would say. I would say no, because I would rather just die and not live on, to be honest. I'm like, I'm very happy for this, the life that I've kind of got used to and signed up for. Like, you know, I'm, I'm happy for, you know, to kind of disintegrate and be done and we can be the last of those sort of humans. But here's what I would say to the younger people. Take up that offer because that is the team that's going to win. Yeah. Don't hesitate. Yeah. Jump on board because if you don't, someone else will and then some other dickhead will be running the world and not you. I'm, so you might as well get involved, become a robot. Good luck to you all. We're all done. I would love to hear the AI version of TOEFOP. Like when we, when we expire and they get two robots to, because this will be a sector of entertainment that needs requirement. <laughs> you get two robots doing this, talking about Batman and time travel. Well, that's what it'd be. It'd be two um, artificial intelligence robots that didn't really develop properly. <laughs> 
and they're like, and their artificial intelligent robot parents would be really disappointed in them, and they'd be like, "What are they doing?" He's got, oh, he's got some, he's got some AI podcast. It's just like two series talking to each other, asking each other questions, and then one of the series will get like a real job on real AI radio. <laughs> And suddenly doing the AI podcast is like too hard for him. Well, I, I, this is a, speaking of uh, podcasts and uh, we're going to keep it very yeah. tight this week. So we should uh, wind this up. Uh, we are going to do pro- proper episodes coming up, but it's just been a particularly busy time for both of us. So we'll, uh, we, we'll put this one up and at least uh, we, we got one out there and uh, we can uh, uh, move on. But we've got a couple of things we need to mention before the end. Yeah, so um, uh, end of uh, October saw the uh, the last chance you had to uh, get your money back from Mike Cal for his, uh, his GoFundMe or have your money donated to charity. I think everyone got in touch. Some money went back. Some money was uh, willfully given uh, to a charity. So... We discussed about where it was going to go, and at the time, uh, America was facing a lot of issues, so we were like, well, you know, we can find a charity there. But then in recent times, we felt like maybe something closer to home, considering a lot of the uh, donors were Australian. So um, Mike Hall has picked up the charity, gisformanisandnauru.org.au. Um, we'll post up some information on the Facebook page, but uh, I think there's going to be about 2K going to that charity. So that's a really... Thank you, guys, for those of you who decided to um, uh, put your money somewhere where it can really be used. Yeah, no, it's absolutely fantastic and it's for a really you know, brilliant cause and I'm glad that, you know, through something going wrong, uh, we've managed to, you know, turn it into something really nice, which is fantastic and it's a real credit to to Michael and all to, or to all the people who donated as well. Uh, and if you want to check out this podcast and many other podcasts by us, you can go to tofop.com. You can check us out on Facebook and on Twitter. And uh, we have a Patreon. Uh, Patreon, patreon.com forward slash tofop. So that's just a little way we... Uh, we keep this uh, this podcast going. You can go there. You can subscribe. There's uh, bonus content there. We're, we're working on getting some more video content in there. But at the moment, the main attraction is uh, uh, James Fosdyke's Everyone Relax, which is a comic strip he does fortnightly. A three-panel comic strip he just whips up in an afternoon, <laughs> which is based on the conversations we've had on this show. It is honestly one of the best things. It's one of the best things going around. And it's like one of those things where he just does... I mean, I know we say this every time we talk about it, but it is genius it is brilliant it is worth subscribing for if you like this podcast even enough to subscribe for a dollar a month which let's be honest you know 10 bucks 12 bucks a year like you are you are ripping off james fosdyke <laughs> for how good his comic strip is that's basically what you're doing so if you want to rip off james fosdyke donate a buck to the patreon site um and look if you want to support the show the best way you can really do that is just tell more people to listen the more people that listen uh the more we can attract sponsors the more uh, sponsors we get the more money we get and then we can pull will out of his uh, cushy radio job oh yeah i mean that's the thing right the more people who listen to the show we can get people on board and then we don't have to beg you for money for the patreon (laughs) it's really actually like if you if you don't want to give us some money for the patreon just get one of your mates to listen to the show. Yeah, that'll do. That's it. That's it. If you give a dollar to the Patreon page, you'll get one of your mates to listen. That's your challenge for this week. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson.